Welcome to You Sound Like a Girl. I'm Colleen, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I am Emily Rose, and my pronouns are also she, her, hers. And you are listening to You Sound Like a Girl, a storytelling project that explores and elevates cis and trans women's stories about our voices. We aim to explore the social norms around cis and trans women's voices by investigating what it means to sound like a woman and what it means for women to use our voices. On today's episode, we want to welcome Joy Lancetta Coronel, she, her, hers. Joy is a speech and dialect coach who earned her MFA in voice studies from the University of London's Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. She has coached alongside Comedy Central, Center Theatre Group, Atlantic Theatre Company, Playwrights Horizons, American Players Theatre, Mayi Theatre, Williamstown Festival, the National Asian American Theatre Company, and New Dramatists. She currently serves as speech faculty at HB Studio and University of Connecticut's Dramatic Arts Program. Joy also works outside the theater sphere, serving as an executive presentation coach for corporate professionals and as a communication coach for women and femmes who have been victims of domestic violence. She has also published research articles in the Voice and Speech Review covering topics like racial identity, cultural sensitivity, and inclusive coaching and teaching strategies. Joy consulted on the 2019 production of You Sound Like a Girl, building out the interactive vocal workshop portion of the show. Welcome, Joy. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you all for having me. It's such a nice little outlet to have to talk about this kind of work. So, Joy, um, can you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Yeah. So um, when people ask me, it's a little hard to give like a, like a one sentence answer, but I, but I basically tell everyone that I'm a voice and speech coach. And what that entails is I work with actors and I work with non-actors. So with actors, I work with them on articulation, working on learning um, international phonetics alphabet and accent work in the classroom. I also coach dialects on different productions. So I'll work on stage, film, television, all of that, coaching, you know, the actors, a specific accent or dialect. And then in terms of non-actors, we work a lot on, uh, you know, if I were to work for a company, I would coach some of their executive employees on executive presentation, um, just really getting that sense of presence and and allowing their voice to come out freely and and speaking clearly and, and having clear ideas. But then I also just work on kind of a range of communication uh, skill sets for any non-actor. So someone will come to me because they are preparing for an interview. Um, and so we talk a bit about that. Sometimes I have someone who speaks English as a second language and they're trying to make sure that their, you know, words or their um, thoughts are coming off clearly. So I like to say that I speak about speaking. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) And could you tell us a little bit about kind of like what brought you to voice and speech? Like what was your trajectory into this, I don't know, industry sector? Yeah, sure. Um, So, you know, it all started off in, in drama school and I, you know, was taking acting classes and movement classes and I really took a liking to my voice and speech class just because I felt like it really allowed me to connect to my acting a lot more easily than some of my other classes. And I really enjoyed the accent and dialect class as well. It just um, talking about language and, and kind of cultures and things like that were really interesting to me. Um, and it, it, I think it kind of 
sparked something in me just growing up in a bilingual household. Um, you know, just my, I guess my ears were just a little more in tune than I had thought. And so it was really interesting. Um, so my, my professor decided to give me a little extra work, had me coach a couple of shows. Um, I got to work with a couple of different accents and dialects and that just kind of lived on after I graduated and went to New York and began to act. It was just this, this interest, but I thought, gosh, you know, acting wasn't fulfilling me the way that I thought it was going to. So I decided to go back to school and get my master's in voice and speech uh, in London and just had a really great experience there learning a little bit more about voice work, accent and dialect work, speech work, um, and taught at a few schools there. Then I came back to New York and started to work at different schools, different actor training programs, which was really nice. And then um, also got into corporate coaching just because a lot of folks in our field, um, you know, understand how impactful it can be for a non-actor to learn the types of tools that actors learn. So um, that was really interesting to me because I, I, I almost found it a lot more exciting with non-actors just because of you know, the idea of voice and speech was a lot newer to them. Um, and yeah, from there, it just kind of snowballed. I started doing research on things in the field that were missing um, and began to kind of collect that research and, and publish, you know, two journal articles about identity and culture and best practices in our field that I thought we were missing. So my mission now is to really rethink the way that my field approaches work and approaches language and and cultures and accent work um, so we can be a little more mindful about how we approach it because it is such a personal thing you know whether it's giving a workshop or teaching at a school or coaching a client I kind of have the same mission for every single project that I have that is awesome thank you um, you've pointed out that you kind of work in these two different, worlds. And one of them is like, there's the theater piece of working with actors, and then there's the the piece of working with non-actors. So I'd love to focus for a second on working with actors, like working in, in production and theater and, you know, maybe on camera, film, that kind of stuff. I'm sure a lot of people who aren't in the arts, who aren't performers, are not aware of what it's like to um, train as a performer. Um, and train your voice and all of the things that you learn. And even, you know, I went to conservatory, I had voice and speech classes, and it didn't occur to me to question any of those things. Like someone just showed up who wasn't quote unquote an expert and was like, here's how you need to talk. And they taught us like, here's how you do a, a, an Indian dialect, right? Like at the time, it didn't occur to me to be like, wait, why are you teaching a bunch of white people how to do Indian accents. Like, when are we going to need this? Or they would say like, oh, you should put Native American on your resume because you could pass for Native American. And it's like, wait, what's going on? So I'd love to hear from you, and I'm sure our audience would as well, like, what what are some quote unquote like standard accents that people learn or, or are expected to emulate or, or incorporate into their own lives? And like, how is that stuff harmful to us as performers and to other people? Yeah, well, I mean, the idea of standardizing speech is is basically forcing everyone to abandon their identity and, and conform to one way of speaking, which is like 
generally created from a very white Western background. And, you know, I don't, it's just the idea of, of, of abandoning your identity and your background is, is such a kind of conflicting with what we're doing as actors. As actors, we're trying to be human and remember what it's like to be human and emulate a person with a very specific background and language and community. And then here we are telling them that they need to speak a certain way. Um, you know, I just had a client today who was auditioning for a, 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 an acting program and um, she had a Shakespearean monologue and she was doing this kind of heightened, you know, I would maybe call it stage standard kind of way of speaking. And she was so disconnected from the text, so disconnected from her body. And I told her, okay, why don't we just use your voice, like the voice that you were born with, and try it again? And it was transformative. She completely connected to what she was saying. And so, you know, it just goes to show that standardizing speech is, um, it's, it's just not parallel with what we're learning in drama school. It also can be very classist. It can be racist. Um, and it, it, we need to do away with that. I mean, the good news is, is that a lot of programs now in the U.S. and slowly in the U.K. are starting to realize that and starting to use things like general American, um, which is basically what you know, during my time and maybe during Emily Rose's time of drama training um, was kind of the, you know, the North Star, the, the place that the, the um, accent that you had to speak. Um, and they're now seeing that just as simply a tool and less um, of a way that you need to speak at all times, um, which is promising. But, um, you know, not all schools are that way right now. But um, I think that the next couple of generations after us are going to have it a lot better. On the on the flip side, Joy, I'd love to hear a little bit about your work with non-actors, you know, especially you mentioned that you work in sometimes in corporate sectors or with folks who are preparing for interviews and that type of a thing. And, you know, they're the um, corporate America tends to reward a very specific type of voice. And so I'm interested to learn kind of how you handle the tension of, of wanting to honor your clients and, and the way that they communicate, but also recognizing that they're going to be navigating a system that is only looking to reward one type of thing. So what is that experience like? That's a really good point, Colleen. Uh, you know, there's a couple of layers to that. I think that, or at least from my experience, you know, you have or actually from my experience, I work a lot with international um, clients. And so for them, they come to me with this, okay, I want to change the way that I speak. I need for you to make me sound as American as possible. Um, and that is just unrealistic, um, unattainable, not helpful, and um, just kind of the wrong framing of, of, you know, what they're trying to accomplish. And so, you know, whenever I work with clients, I generally, from the get-go, inform them before I even work, you know, before I even sign a contract that I'm not there to change their accent, but I am there to help them be clearer with what they're trying to say and convey and trying to give them better tools to be more expressive and more clear with their thoughts and, and kind of the intention behind it, which is like very actory, um, but very helpful for them if they're trying to do a presentation, um, if they're trying to lead a group or they're giving a big speech. So, um, you know, it, it kind of, it's kind of in conflict with a lot of what, you know, their goals are. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, 
the biggest difference or the, the thing that I really work towards is just confidence building and, and reminding them that it's, it's not so much that they have to change who they are, but they just have to realize that the tools already exist within them. They just have to develop them. Um, they have a voice. They can use it a certain way. For the most part, every single client I've ever worked with has been very clear, but it's about being confident in what you're saying, saying things in an organized way, um, making sure your thoughts are organized. So, you know, I have I have had clients who have really enjoyed working with me simply because their their confidence is so much, um, you know, is just so much better by the end of our sessions, and that is kind of snowballs and impacts everything else. And so. For me, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of this rogue person that's coming in and saying, you don't have to speak in a general American accent. You know, as, as a female, you don't have to be more masculine. As a male, you don't have to be more masculine. Um, it's just how can you use your voice um, to its potential? How can you uh, be aware of the people around you? How can you clearly convey your thoughts? How can you be more organized in your thoughts? How can you present yourself, uh, you know, posture-wise and presence-wise um, in a way that says that you really know your stuff? So um, I, I, you know, sometimes they become a little doubtful when I say those things, but then they realize how powerful it is that really the power comes from inside as opposed to outside. Um and, and so that's how I intend on working, you know, with corporate clients from now on. I, I, I don't ever want to try and teach, you know, a, a female executive how to, you know, be more uh, louder and, and have a deeper voice. I don't ever want to teach uh, a, a person who speaks English as a second language how to sound quote unquote American. Um, but I also see my colleagues in the field sharing similar uh similar thoughts. So I'm hoping that that impacts, you know, the business sector slowly but surely. Yeah. And you've you've brought up a couple instances now in talking about your clients and the work that you do with them of your voice and your body and, and your voice and kind of your identity or who you are being inextricably linked in some ways that saying, okay, let's give up this accent that you're putting on and instead use your regular voice can connect an actor so much more emotionally to a text or a piece. And then with non-actors trying to be more comfortable or more confident in who you are is, it seems like both affected by and has an effect on that person's voice. So I don't know, what are your thoughts or, or how do you think about how the voice is connected to the rest of the body, like physically, but also how it's connected to who we are as people? Yeah. Um, yeah. I love talking about this just because um, we don't think about it a lot. I, you know, the way that we speak. So, so if you think about kind of, um, speech in a like macro level, you have like a regional dialect, right? Like you sound like someone who's from New York, right? Someone will say, oh, you sound like you're from New York. Um, that's, that's a dialect or an accent, right? Everybody has an accent. Everybody speaks a certain way. Um, but then you have something called an idiolect. 
And an idiolect is the individual way that you speak. It's what makes you sound different from the neighbor who grew up right next to you. And those, your idiolect is, you know, the, the sum of all your parts. You know, your idiolect represents your backgrounds, your communities, your influences. And, um, and that is just so personal. You know, we, we, as humans, we, we hear someone and if they sound different, you know, as humans, we immediately want to categorize them and place them. But the fact of the matter is we all speak differently, even if you grew up around the same types of people. Um, and so I think just in terms of speech being personal, it just represents so much of who we are and who, you know, who has impacted us and influenced us in our lives, whether it's a person or a community or a town or a country. Um, and so that is really huge. Um, I also think about just like the voice in a kind of, I don't know, anatomical way that like you can't speak without breath. You can't speak without your lungs. And all of that, it's all connected and that takes up more than half of your body. Um, and when we think about the body, it's all interconnected. Our muscles are connected to the connective tissue, which are connected to the bones, which are connected to our internal organs, which are connected to our tongue and our mouth and our teeth, right? Like it's all connected. And so our voice is really like kind of in a, in a like direct way, it is, it is, part of our bodies. Like it's just connected to everything in our bodies, but also our voice is the vessel from in which we express and communicate ourselves. You know, we communicate our thoughts, our opinions, our emotions, our vulnerabilities. And, and so sometimes it's even hard to mask how you're feeling or how you're thinking because of your voice, right? Your voice can give that away. You can have poker face and still, you know, I, I always joke to my students, you know, you, you Everyone has had a moment where someone says, are you okay? And you say, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> and your voice is like 10 octaves higher for some reason. Um, that is because it's your voice is connected to the rest of your body. And so it is a very vulnerable thing. And that's why it can be really scary. Um, it's connected to your breath. And when you're in fear, your breath is shallow, right? Um, so it's just both kind of like metaphorically, but also like physically and, and in a very um, real way, it is so much a part of who you are and, and your whole self. And taking a little bit of a detour here, but but related, um, I know that, you know, when we were originally catching up, you know, via email, you said that you'd had done some work at Sanctuary for Families. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was wondering if you could just like fill us in a little bit about that because, you know, what you're saying about like the power of the voice, but also how it conveys how we are feeling and, and how we move through the world. I'm sure that that is uh, a little bit related to your work with Sanctuary for Families as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, at Sanctuary for Families, there's a lot of different programs for um victims of domestic violence and, you know, helping them recover, whether it's financially, career-wise, or psychologically, um, you know, they're all kind of trying to pick up the pieces with with the programs. My role has been to prep um, women who speak English as a second language, um, prep them for interviews in the workforce. And so specifically with them, you know, they are in speaking English as a second language. And, um, it is a very difficult 
nut to crack sometimes because there are so many held traumas and fears and lack of self-worth or, um, you know, just even struggling as a person who speaks English as a second language, just thinking that their English is never good enough. Um, so, you know, a lot of that early work is just building rapport, building trust, building confidence, validating them, and then kind of showing them how powerful their voices, um, and kind of al allowing them to open up a little more. And, um, you know, it's funny cause they all say, Oh, joy, you know, joy's helping me with my English. And I really don't do much <laughs> English work with them. It's a lot of it is just kind of getting them to talk more and it can be pretty tough on some days, but, um, but for the most part is rewarding in terms of, uh, just, just seeing the transformation in some of these women and, and hearing their stories and, um, you know, being in a place that feels safe for both of us to be working there. It just is pretty amazing that Sanctuary for Families exists. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's one of my, uh, it's one of the most fulfilling places that I've been able to work. So would I be correct in understanding that the the women you're working with at Sanctuary for Families, do they, are they the same, uh, are they trying to get or, or applying for the same kinds of roles that the women you work with as corporate partners or, or through your corporate work? Are they kind of at the same tiers or are they totally different tiers? No, they're all in different tiers. I mean, some of these women are just trying to find housing. You know, they have an abusive partner and, and they're trying to find a place, a safe place for their, um, children. And, and so they're trying to, to find a job, you know, at, at the market or, um, you know, just at a small shop, just trying to find something where they're able to either, um, to, you know, some of them like to be in a, a place where they can predominantly speak their native language. Um, and then you have people who are interviewing for a corporate um, position. So, you know, it, there is such a spectrum. It, it's just a, a wide range of people who are, who are in these programs. So that's also been really eye-opening is that, you know, the, the abuse um, happens, you know, happens to anyone. Right. And so that, that leads me to ask, like, are there trends that you've seen across class divides, racial divides in terms of what, especially women and femmes, since that's what we focus on in this, this podcast, are there trends in terms of ways that all of these different women and femmes want to change their voices? Like, is there, do you sort of see certain goals a lot? Um, I don't know, any insights that you've come to from, from working with all these different women and femmes in the job application corporate world? Yeah. Um, so, you know, my, most of my experience really lies with, um, those who speak English as a second language. Um, and I would say across the board with maybe a few as the exception, um, most people who come to me are really seeking to change their voice completely and, and try to sound as, as, you know, as native to, you know, the United States as possible, um, which is just 
you know, it's like, tell me what I need to do to be different and that will make me happy. Um, and it takes a lot of conversation to really reframe that and really think about what it is they're actually trying to, to accomplish. Um, you know, and, and that, and again, this is very specific for a, a lot of folks who speak English as a second language. A lot of them are, have, have immigrated just recently and are trying to find their, you know, their footing here. Um, and, and some of these people are also trying, you know, they, they've, I've worked with someone who um, was trying to get a promotion and just lacked the confidence um, to speak in front of a group of people. And I think coming in, they were thinking that I was going to correct their English, but it was really about how do you walk into a space confidently? How do you speak to the whole crowd and, and give eye contact and even eye contact is something that's really challenging for people of other cultures. You know, um, just, just there are certain cultures where looking someone in the eye is really disrespectful. And so how do you kind of um, gauge, you know, the difference between being in the U.S. And, and knowing how important eye contact is and knowing how uncomfortable it is for someone whose culture doesn't um, embrace that? So, you know, I think the biggest thing when I work with clients is just to really have an understanding of who they are and to really get a sense of who they are as opposed to them walking into the room and me saying, this is how you need to be. This is how I'm going to tell you to do it. Um, it's so different for every single person. And, you know, all the, all the um, experiences and backgrounds are different and all of my um, guidance is very different for each client. You know, Joy, you keep saying how your clients tend to be like surprised by your response to them um, or, um, you know, they come to you wanting to sound as quote unquote American as possible. And, and you're like, actually, that's that's actually not my goal with you. Uh, we're going to focus on these other things. Are you finding that like as as a sector in general, like voice and speech, are more people getting hip to what you're saying about like being less prescriptive or are you kind of like the lone wolf out there? No, no, everyone. It's actually such a great conversation that's happening. I mean, you know, there are, there is a population who, uh, you know, are just kind of digging their heels a bit in the ground of, of this is what I've always taught. But for the most part, everyone has been very receptive to the fact that the, you know, the world is changing, the, the, the culture is changing, these generations, these new generations of, of actors and, and business people are just so much more aware of the nuances of, of language and speech and um, are just a lot more aware of, of the impact that, that speech has on, on individuals. And so I think, you know, everybody in my field is is very much a student right now, which is really wonderful. We have great conversations in our conferences. We have a lot of social media um, discussions that have really supported this idea. And, and so I find it really promising. And there's a whole generation of new coaches that are kind of coming out and, and um, <laughs> infiltrating uh, the drama schools and the corporate sectors. So I, I feel very hopeful about it. I'd like to ask one more question before we move on to our voices we recommend. So, Joy, you know, your job is basically to help people help themselves or to approach their their work or uh, other people in different ways. And I think something that we've talked about a lot um, just interpersonally as as women and femmes is 
like it's not always our responsibility to to um you know ask for the raise and fight for this and be more that way that like lean in approach of like well if you're just more like men or like the dominant culture then you know you just got to play the game and that's how you get what you want um so do you ever do you ever have conversations with your clients who about like eventually the world also has to come to you like we can we can uh, work together and we can work on on your own goals vis-a-vis yourself like confidence and um i don't know persuasion like any of those things but there comes a point when the the dominant culture has to take a step toward you do you ever have that conversation yeah yeah you know i i haven't had too many but i have had some and and i and that is exactly why you know i have i have women saying you know um, there's this kind of um, judgment on women who kind of talk in that upward inflection and that that is really um, making you sound not as intelligent and or women who have a lot of glottal fry and like how that needs to be fixed. And for me, it's just like, what does that have to do with your work? <laughs> and how does that even impact someone's confidence in you? Like it just doesn't make any logical sense. Um, and And so kind of in some ways you kind of just have to like literally take your hands and like clap in front of the person's face to be like, that doesn't actually matter. Right. Like, does that actually affect how intelligent you are, how, you know, how good you are at your job or how you treat others at your company or how much you've accomplished in this year. And so it's really about training what's going on inside as opposed to, um, conforming. And I have to say, I'm, I'm one of those like burn it all down to the ground people. Um, you know, I just refuse to coach someone, um, you know, a woman to try and be more assertive if that's not her personality. If that is her personality, great. That's going to serve her in a different way than someone who is not as assertive, who might be a little more soft-spoken. Um, and that's okay too. It'll serve that person differently. So I think we just need to look at how we are naturally and how we can stretch that. I, you know, I, I'm, it's not to say that we can't ever improve or, um, or you know, be more dynamic people, um, but we're going to have strengths and weaknesses. And for us to conform to a certain way, like you said, the dominant population is being untrue to yourself, and and I think does not. Um, do yourself any services. So I will never tell someone otherwise. Um, I, I firmly believe that if, if we can, if we can have enough of these conversations that we truly can change the cultures inside of the workforce and we can then impact the greater population. Amazing. I, I fully support burning it all down. (laughs) Um, Amazing. So yeah, so we've we've reached kind of the portion of the recording where we ask folks to recommend a voice to our listeners. But before we move on to that, is there anything else that we like didn't touch upon, Joy, that you really wanted to to talk about? I'll just mention one little thing. Uh, just kind of because it's happening right now. Like I, I a lot of my work revolves around researching um, best practices on accent coaching and just how we can treat accents in a, in a more culturally sensitive way. Like a lot of my research uh, looks into how 
East Asian accents or Asian accents have have been treated in the media for you know for the beginning of time here and um, how we need to you know how sometimes Americans' ears can be kind of lazy because we have always been the dominant language. We've never really had to learn another language. And, um, you know, it's to our disadvantage because we don't really take the time to learn about other cultures and other languages. And so for us, you know, as a society, there are many people who cannot hear the difference between a Korean accent and a Japanese accent. And, and And a lot of my mission today is to really dismantle that and for us to really um, teach audiences how to listen to accents in a very different way, to, to hear the nuances of, you know, a Beijing accent versus a Hong Kong, um, you know, because most of us don't know what that sound difference is. And so, you know, as I'm working with my actors, um, you know, some of them are on television and some of them are on stage. I really approach the work um, in a in a very careful way so that we are modeling our our speech with as much nuance as possible. I try to use a real speaker as a model as much as possible and to really have that discussion with the actor of like, this is the person's background. We're going to look at this person as a human and not as just a bunch of sounds. Um, and so that has been, um, you know, I, I feel as though if I approach that, my work in that way, that these actors will be able to, you know, teach their audience how to listen differently and how to um, how to see that there is such a diverse, uh, you know, range of sounds, even within one language, you know, one Asian language. Um, So I just have to kind of give my little shout out there of, you know, all of my clients who I've worked with and, and really encouraging those actors out there who are, who are, you know, trying to learn an accent that has been stereotyped in the past to really take a look at, um, you know, how to approach these accents in a, in a much more specific and nuanced way. That's awesome. Thank you. And so, yeah, so to wrap things up, each episode, we ask uh, both our guest and um, Emily Rose and myself to offer our listeners a woman or femme's voice that they appreciated this past week or was speaking to them. So, Joy, do you have a voice that you would like to recommend to our listeners? I do. I very much do. Yes. So somebody who has just inspired me this entire week, her name is Amy Berriman. She is an actor and playwright and a dear, dear friend of mine since college. Um, she is currently in London right now having her f- her first week of rehearsals for her West End production of um, Walden, which is her play uh, that she wrote and is just, you know, she's this 30-year-old woman who is wise beyond her years. And she wrote this beautiful play about two female leads. Um, one is a, a, a NASA botanist. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's about these twins, these two female twins who are navigating their relationship and coming to terms with climate change. Um, it's just this beautiful piece. And she's, I've just seen her grow over the past, um, the past few decades and um, seeing her vision come to life in London, in the West End, um, and seeing how so many people have believed in her project and and seeing them as, you know, supporting this this play written by a woman with two strong female leads has been just so wonderful. And and the grace that she's had um, 
through it all and through like the chaos and, and, uh, you know, just overwhelming, um, experience has been inspiring and a, and a testament to who she is. So, you know, not only is this a plug for her show, if you're in London, um, but also to just put it out there that, um, that the people who, who are out there supporting women's work, um, is just, it's going to change the world. And I'm really excited. Amazing. And I'm so sorry. What was her name one more time? Sure. Her name's Amy Barriman. All right. Emily Rose, who would you like to recommend to our listeners? So as we have been having this conversation and talking about um, all of the expectations for women's voices, um, it makes me think of the many podcasts that I listen to. I pretty much only listen to women as uh, podcast hosts, and they get so much flack for their voices. And sometimes they'll read them on air, like, "Oh, we got this review." <laughs> um, and one of the one of them that I just really respect. Her name is Madeline Barron. She's pretty famous at this point. She um, was the lead reporter uh, and the host of the podcast In the Dark, which helped to get Curtis Flowers out of prison. And it's just uh, so lovely. To, to my ear, she has this little voice. And it's really inspiring to hear her. She's so She has a very pleasant, again, to my ear, very pleasant voice. Um, but she'll go up to this district attorney and be like, oh, did you want to comment on why you're trying to prosecute this man for the eighth time. Like she's so just charming and pleasant. And I imagine it must be really hard to be taken seriously in that context, um, especially trying to do like hard hitting, life changing investigative journalism. Um, so I just want to shout her out. If folks don't uh, know about APM reports, like look them up, listen to In the Dark. There are many seasons, not just the Curtis Flower season. It's really wonderful. And she's she's just delightful. So shout out to Madeline Barron. Amazing. I uh, am going to recommend to our listeners um, Emerald Fennell. So as we are recording this, we're just a few days away from 2021 Oscars. Um, and, you know, the movie industry has been pretty different this past year. But um, I was lucky enough to watch one of the movies that is nominated and came out recently uh, called Promising Young Woman. And it is about rape and sexual assault. Um, and uh, it is somewhat violent so if that's not your jam then maybe pass on this film but it is both written and directed by emerald Fennell, who is a young british director and she's awesome and the film is amazing and um so she is uh nominated for both best director like best original screenplay and it's also nominated for best picture and the history of the oscars and female directors are pretty bleak um I'm going to be honest, I'm not necessarily expecting her to win, but the fact that she's nominated is pretty amazing. Um, and the movie itself is absolutely fantastic. Um, like I said, it does deal with uh, rape and sexual assault, but um, highly recommend Promising Young Woman, written and directed by Emerald Fennell. Awesome. Yeah. So nice talking to you all. I felt like this was just like us having coffee or something. Yes, same. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joy. This has truly been a pleasure. It's so it's so lovely and wonderful to reconnect with you. <laughs> Likewise, it was so nice to to sit here and just have a little chat over over 
for me a glass of water. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. And as per usual, I also want to thank all of our listeners. Our co-hosts are me, Colleen Hughes. And me, Emily Rose Pratz. I also edit our audio, and our researcher is Rachel Levins. Our music is Nice Girl, written and recorded by Reverend Yolanda. And a huge, huge thank you to our guest, Joy. If you'd like to learn more about Joy, you can visit her website at joylancettacoronel.com, which is also linked in the show notes. And you can read her research in the Voice and Speech Review journal articles, Strategies for Guiding Actors' Accent and Linguistic Needs in the 21st Century, and Coaching Asian Actors and Asian Accents with Cultural Sensitivity, which won the VSR Rocco Dalvera Graduate Research Award. Both of these articles are available to the public. You can find You Sound Like a Girl at yousoundlikeagirl.com. You can email us at yousoundlikeagirl at gmail.com. And you can find us on Instagram at yousoundlikeagirl. Catch you next time. Bye.